live and local across the city and South Cambridgeshire. This is Julian Clover. Cambridge 105 Radio. And Julian Clove in for Steffi Callister for, well, for the rest of today and then a Monday afternoon as well. As you'll know, on a Thursday, Steffi uh, will have a chat with Dr Sean Lang from the uh, Anglia Ruskin University. And I'm pleased to say uh, that uh, we're not missing out on that. Sean is, uh, is with us now. Hello, Sean. Hello, Julian. Uh, thanks very much uh, for, for joining us, as always. I guess there's one big topic uh, which has been in the news for, I was going to say, the last seven days, longer than that, really. In fact, one might almost, uh, you know, listed in decades, maybe even longer still, and that's Afghanistan, of course. And I guess this is multi-layered, really. But I wonder if you could take me back a little bit, because I, I remember, was it, late 70s early 80s there was you know russia were in afghanistan at that point you go back further still and i think the british empire was interested and what's what's the fascination of this place um it's mainly because of its geographical position it's in one of those areas in the world and one or two others which are at the sort of junction of major power blocks um and in the case of afghanistan um its positions um slightly to the northeast of India. So there you have the British Empire. And then if you go north of that, you've got Russia. Um, or other than those days, you had the Russian Empire. So it was sort of between the two. And uh, Britain, yes, it did indeed in- invade Afghanistan twice in the 19th century. And in both cases, it was all to... It, what it was essentially was doing uh, was sort of using... Uh, the local politics as a way of fighting a much bigger sort of global conflict between between Britain and Russia, and in a sense that's a theme which you get going to the twentieth century as well. So you can't you can't beat Russia because they're they're too big, but you can maybe do something to give them a a bloody nose, as the phrase used to be that's in Afghanistan thing, yeah. instead. Okay, yeah, that's right. I mean, the fear was that the Russians were t- were essentially trying to get their own people in charge uh, in Afghanistan. So the British uh, in in eighteen thirty eight, if you want the date. Um, launched an invasion from India, and it followed a pattern, or rather it set a pattern, which was then to be followed uh, with all these subsequent invasions, which is to say the immediate military um, intervention and the immediate military aim was successful. Um, They occupied the country, they occupied Kabul, they put their own person in charge, and then once they had settled, then there's the question of, is, is it safe to leave? Because um, the you know the the ruler that they put in charge was not popular with the Afghan people, and in particular there was a, a sort of what we would call nowadays an insurgency against him. So that it, it uh, the British were then caught in a sort of nightmare where they wanted to withdraw but couldn't because it wasn't safe to do so. And you you wait and you wait and you wait until it gets to the point where you it's not safe for you to stay either. So which which will you do? And what they then did, and you can see the parallel with what's happened this week, um, that they sort of uh, they withdrew not only did they leave their man to his fate because he was then swiftly overturned and the country went back to the the rule that it had before um but the british army was itself wiped out i mean literally down to the one man um, who got back to india it's one of those disasters in british military history mm. now that sort of pattern of invading in order to affect re- regime change as we'd say nowadays then finding that without popular support you can't maintain the new regime that's been put in place and then you're stuck with do i stay or do i go and you stay until the point is where it's too dangerous for you to stay so you pull out and there's a disaster is something which was essentially then repeated um 
about 50 years later uh, in, in 1878-79, uh, when there was a, a, another Afghan war uh, with a very similar sort of um, structure to it. And then the Russians, you rightly said, Julian, um, who invaded now, the politics was slightly different, but again, it was essentially a question of going in to effect regime change very successfully to start with, imposing their rule uh, in Kabul and then finding that they were up against uh, an insurgency, the Mujahideen. What was different then and has a direct relation to, to what's happening now is the politics of it were, were slightly different in that it was about uh, putting out the right sort of communist regime in, in Afghanistan. This was still the Cold War. So at that time, the Americans took the view that my enemy's enemy is my friend. So since the Soviet Union was the enemy in Cold War politics, then and but since they had invaded a country and occupied it, presumably, if you followed you know, the sort of thinking of the time, the people, the resistance movement against the, against the Soviets must be our friends. So the Americans put a lot of money and arms into the Mujahideen, and it even featured, <laughs> you'll love this detail, in a James Bond film. Um, this one where uh, in the the Living Daylights, where Timothy Dalton's James Bond um, sort of lands in Afghanistan, and can uh, I say that said, Living Daylights is one of my favourite Bond films? Much, it is much, much to the annoyance of many people who really think I should be liking Skyfall and things like that. And then I I like it very much, not least because at the time I look quite looks like Timothy Dalton. Um, but uh, uh, and he says, "Can you put me in touch with the Mujahideen?" And the, and at that time, thinking with Mujahideen, I like the French Resistance. They're the, they're the good guys against the you know big bad Soviets. Um, but, of course, the Mujahideen were, were fighting their own war. It wasn't a, a pro-American one. They're very happy to get, accept American help. But essentially what they were wanting to do was to set up a sort of Islamic state, if you like, um, in, in Afghanistan. As so opposed... are, are the Mujahideen, are, are they almost like, um, or are they indeed their successors? Are they ISIS and the, and the Taliban? Yeah, the same, yeah. Effectively the, the same set of people. Yeah, exactly. It's a sort of... Um, um, it's a sort of resistance movement. Mm. Um, their main motivation was that Soviet communism was, uh, you know, godless, atheistical, and um, and if I say Western, I sound wrong because it's the you know the wrong side in the Cold War. But if you sort of use the idea, you know, the sort of uh, communism as something which grew out of Europe, in that sense, it's a Western ideology, then it's imposed on them by force, and so they resorted to or they reverted to traditional um, Islamic, uh, you know, identity. And at that time, in the 80s, the Iranian um, Islamic Revolution was in full swing. Uh, and so there's a sort of um, carryover, if you like, that, that um, what we now call Islamism, but at that time was essentially an, an Islamic revolution, was about throwing off these foreign influences or occupation or what have you. And in that sense, it fitted in, um, it, it, the situation in Afghanistan was in some ways sort of comparable with the situation um, in Iran um, at, at that time. And this is something I think the Americans never really got their heads around. And when this invasion began, it began, of course, with the 9-11 attacks, um, which had been planned from Afghanistan. It wasn't planned by the Taliban, it was planned by um, uh, um, Osama bin Laden, um, but based in Afghanistan, and of course it fitted. It was a sort mm. of another. And the, and the narrative is that the, the the Taliban and the uh, huge sweeping generalisation here that the, the type of people they are will allow, even if they all the things that they've said in their press conferences about how they're going to be treating people fairly are correct. There are still absolutely the assumption that the kind of people they are associating with are often 
terrorists and they could then bring trouble to other Western countries later on. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, in a sense, what you have to do is think, what does victory look like? And this is something I think that no one in uh, NATO or the UN really thought through in 2001. What do you actually, you know, what does it, what's it going to look like when you win? Now, if you look at it for a moment from the Taliban point of view, um, what they, uh, you know, success would be the establishment of as an, of, as an, an Islamic state, um, you know, under Sharia laws, they already uh, reminded us um, in Afghanistan. But no, you know, no one's going to want to, um, you know, limit it to Afghanistan. Um, that the um, the dream has been st- uh, stymied to some extent in Syria. But the idea is that you know you have a um, an Islamic world, not just a state. But a so sort that of, uh, that sort of brings me to a question which I've, I've had in the back of my mind. I just don't know the answer, and I'm hoping you might be able to resolve it for me. Where are the Taliban from? Are there members of the Taliban who are Afghan, or are they all fighters from? neighbouring um, neighboring territories, or even further than that? Well, it's essentially an, uh, an Afghan um, a movement. Uh, it sort of began as a student movement. Um, and uh, But of course, as these things do, as, as we saw with Islamic State in Syria, it will, you know, it will attract um, uh, enthusiasts from, uh, from other mm. countries. So it would, would be fair to say that some elements of, of the Afghan public are possibly not only pleased to see the back of the Americans, also pleased to have the Taliban running things again. Well, undoubtedly... Unless, be, of, unless of course, like you're somebody who is uh, suffering if you're, if you're a journalist, if you're a female, if uh, I could go on, there's a long list of people who, who would absolutely vehemently against what they stand for. Yes, I mean, um, there will always be, I mean, with any regime, um, with any, however oppressive it might be, and this is always one of the surprises that people have when they look at uh, these examples in the past, there is always an element of support because it's it's very difficult, even with the full weight of an army, to impose a rule against the, the wishes of the entire people. But... Um, it's quite clear that there's been a certain amount of sophistication since uh, since the last time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I heard no. one wonderful line which said they've been picking up, um, you know, tips on press and PR from ISIS, which was... Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, why not? Who, who wouldn't? I tell you, um, some, some, somebody who could do with some tips on press and PR, surely at the moment, must be poor old Joe Biden, as to yes. uh, his, you know, his handling of this is... Um, uh, really, really quite surprising. You know, first you've got the the military decisions, which um, clearly weren't entirely from him, but, you know, clearly senior people in the States thought he would go a whole lot different than what it did. And then, and then you have Biden's response. Yes. I mean, this has been quite extraordinary. Um, and... The decision is one of those which can be argued either way because it has to be, A, of course, uh, it's something that uh, Donald Trump set in motion. Um, secondly, it's something which... Uh, it is a Trump policy, the, basically, which, which Biden, yeah, has, Biden has exactly, followed yeah. through. Yeah, exactly. Um, not not only that, but it's one which, uh, you know, Trump was nothing but if not a populist and he knew perfectly well that there was a huge... Um, aching desire in the American public to just get the troops out of Afghanistan without really thinking it through. So in that sense, you know, you, you can see what the political thinking was. But um, there are two things to say. One is the way in which it was done uh, is about as cat-handed as it's possible to be. And the fact that it was so roundly condemned by Conservative MPs in the Commons yesterday is quite telling. Well, that's the uh, other thing, because, you know, you, you have, you know, the, the British who presumably had no alternative. But to the moment the Americans said, we're going, um, we had no alternative. So, yeah, we're, we're coming too. 
It's difficult to see a realistic alternative, although Theresa May was making the point that um, uh, you know, we, we could have been more involved in the decision uh, and tried to uh, in, influence at least the way it was it was carried out. And, of course, looking at alternative... Other uh, NATO partners. partners. That's that, and yeah. there, there seems to have been a sort of a resounding silence other than from the very top of NATO on, on, on the yeah. issues which have been created. I mean, in a sense, Boris Johnson has a point that if, you know, if America has given up uh, on, on a conflict, it's very difficult, uh, particularly one of that size, um, for any individual NATO member or even a combination of NATO members to, to carry on without, you know, American backup. But the, the strange but, thing, it does, does seem to be this, uh, the all or nothing, you know, it's like you either do this or you either do that. And there's seem, and you could argue that, you know, the British and the Americans have spent the last... I don't know, 20 years, a proportion of that time, trying to teach the Afghans to defend off these people. But, you know, history repeats itself on what you were saying earlier. The, the Afghans either don't want to fend them off or they are incapable of doing so. Well, it's, I think it's a bit more than that, you see, Julian, because, and this is where I think, um, I, this is the bit which really struck me in um, President Biden's speech, um, when, you know, essentially he was, he was saying that, you know, we, we need to pull out. But, and he said, you know, we only went in to remove uh, ISIS, uh, Al-Qaeda, sorry, um, to, to um, you know, get the, the 9-11 um, bombers and planners, mm. as it were. And I thought, well, yes, that's the reason you went in. But once you invade a country and topple the government, you take on a responsibility for that country, whether you like it or not. And there's no getting away from it. In the case of, uh, of Afghanistan, that's a long-term responsibility. You might not have thought it when you went in, but that's, you know, uh, well, that's in reality what, what you took on. And essentially, I think what the American need, didn't do and needed to face up to much, much earlier than this, and in this sense, Joe Biden is inheriting a problem from all his predecessors, is that this is a long-term commitment, this one. It's like um, South Korea. It's like Taiwan. Or indeed, it's like Berlin in the days of the Cold War. That mm. it's not... It, you might not have sought it, but you've taken it on, and this you've you've got to see it through, however long that takes. And that was the nature of Afghanistan, and I don't think they ever really um, took that on board. Um, I know people make comparisons with uh, with the end of Vietnam, um, and in, in terms of the visuals, you know, tele helicopters and uh, people trying to get out and and so on. Yes, I, you see the point. But actually, when you think about it, after the end of uh, the Vietnam War. Vietnam disappeared as a, a news story. It wasn't a sort of threat mm. to America. Whereas I think we have to say that in terms um, both of international terrorism and, of course, the drugs trade, very, very big business from which the Taliban makes a lot of money, um, and in terms of the instability of the region and relations with Russia, uh, you know, this is not the end of a story. This is the this is uh, the beginning of a very, very new, I suspect, very dangerous chapter. Yes, I'm sure we'll hear much more about it in the future. As always, Sean, I, I could quite happily chat chat on for, for most most of the evening, really. Um, but uh, thank you, uh, as always, uh, for joining us. Uh, Dr Sean Lang of Anglia Ruskin University. And uh, that takes us to a quarter to six. <laughs>